scripture memory verse tonight, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8. Anybody else? Acts 1.8. close you were close that's the paraphrase version and you're sitting close to the mic so the mic probably heard you that's pretty good that's close I thought you knew that verse but that's I know you do I'm like that's interesting because you kind of messed it up you put the witnesses you didn't say witnesses to me it's important that we have witnesses to who there's a lot of things going on on the world today listen people have faith but in who? We just have these signs that say faith or believe or gather, but we're not really told what we're doing. And our faith must be in Jesus. Our belief must be in the finished work of the cross, the blood of Jesus. So there's a lot of things that we have to make sure that we're definite about. Acts 1.8 is one of those scriptures that I really think that we do need to commit to memory. Anybody else want to try it? Want to read it? Okay, well, let's look at it. We're, of course, looking at Acts, and let's get a little context. Jesus has um, died on the cross. He's rose again. Acts opens it, sometimes called the fifth gospel. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote it about the, and I was talking today with somebody, you know, it just says Acts. But the original title was, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And see, then we changed it to the acts of the apostles. And then we took the apostles out and we just put the acts or acts. But we're leaving out. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, that there's a form of godliness in the church today, but it denies the power thereof. We were told that these days would come. And when we walk away from the Word of God, then we're going to walk away from the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit and the Word work together. Jesus is the Word, and He is also the Spirit of truth. And He sent back the Spirit to lead us, guide us, teach us, give remembrance of all things to us. The Spirit of God convicts us. The Spirit of God, Acts, or Ephesians 1.13 says, seals us until the day of redemption. So the Spirit of God is actually how God is working in this dispensation called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Is God is working through His Spirit. He's everywhere, but right now He gives us the ability to have His Spirit. And we're going to look at that tonight in Acts 1.8. And of course, I would like to title this. I don't title many sermons. But I want to call it the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people talk about the upon experience or the filling of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus tells them clearly here, 
They, they, Jesus has risen from the grave. He spends 40 days to them or with them, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then it says in 1 4, and being assembled, they were there together with Jesus. Are you sitting down and being with Jesus? Are you together with Jesus? I mean, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, Jesus would tell us. So he's with us now. He commanded them. He didn't ask them. He commanded them. He gave them a command not to depart from Jerusalem, but they were to wait. And I would tell you that waiting is the hardest part, but we should be waiting upon God. But what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the promise of the Father. See, the Father had as a plan. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is sending us. We're to go into all the world. Which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, of course, he's speaking of Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit come upon them with power, with the cloven tongues, and it was like a wind, a great rushing wind. Notice that both of them are likened unto because they were not really there. you just seen it and heard it. And when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, when a person is baptized into the body of Christ, you can see it and you can hear it. There's a difference in the life of a person who has the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God is active in your life, making witness of Jesus Christ, your life will change. This is Jesus speaking to them. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. Now, I always say they interrupted him because he's trying to tell them to wait, that the Spirit is coming, that the church is going to be burnt. They're going to receive a gift from God to be able to go out and do the work of the ministry. And they said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And again, they were falsely told that the Messiah was coming. And when he came, he would set all roads back up to look like the days of Solomon. When everything led to Jerusalem. You know, the sad part is, is everything did lead to Jerusalem. And they were supposed to be witnesses of their God. But what happened is when all the roads came in, people come in and the children of Israel would adopt their idols, adopt their gods, would adopt their customs. Instead of being a strong, powerful witness of their God because he had separated them. And see, listen, this is, this is a type of what's going on in the church today. See, God has called us out. They were a congregation in the wilderness. They were a people set apart to serve God. And, and instead of serving God, they began to want to be like the nations around them. And you and I are in the same place. He called us out. The ecclesia were the called out ones by his spirit. And we're not supposed to be like the nations around us. Now, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're actually soldiers that are behind enemy lines. And we're supposed to still give a witness of Jesus Christ. He's the only name. He's the name above all names. Uh, one day every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. But it's the only name by which men can be saved. Now remember, they've asked this question. 
And they had been falsely taught that Messiah would come and do this, would restore all things to that. But they did not understand that that was his second coming. The second time he would come, he would set up his earthly rule and reign. And they had a, a, another place where he was a suffering servant and he would be uh, crucified and all these. And they spiritualized that and they took all the suffering out. And we're in danger of doing that in the church today. We're removing the suffering. We're removing the cross. We're removing any type of thing that we need to do in order to be witnesses or to live for God. And we've allowed the spirit of this age to, to remove these things from the church. And we've adopted the ways of the world. And we need to wake up in the church. But don't be alarmed. God also told us that there would be an apostasy. That there would be a great falling away of the church. A great falling away from the faith before the son of lawlessness would appear. So he told us that this would happen. And it doesn't mean, see a lot of times people think that it means, oh a great bunch of people losing their salvation. No, salvation was offered through the word of God by the spirit of God because of the blood of Jesus. And then we stop preaching that. We stop telling people to have faith in the blood of Jesus and be led by the Spirit of God. So now the whole church system has walked away from God. That's the falling away. We're trying to bring people into the same religion that the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And what happened when we had Pharisees and Sadducees that left out the Word of God and they made their opinion and their position and their place more important than the Word of God? They crucified the Lord of glory. But it was no surprise because for this purpose he came. So again, today we have the same thing going on. We were supposed to learn from the examples of the nation of Israel and what they did right and did wrong. And again, we have this great falling away from the faith. It's not that people get saved and they lose their salvation. It's that they're being handed a false salvation just like the nation of Israel was doing. Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and then you make them twice the son of hell than what they were because they're giving them a false gospel. They're giving them false assurance. They're giving them their system. And we see it again today where we're building a church on businesses, budgets, and buildings. We're building churches on outward appearance instead of on the power of the Holy Spirit that would lead people in the Word of God, which is the only salvation that there is, is the living Word of God who come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that Word went to the cross and died for you and me. And the Spirit of God wants to take those things and make them real to us. He wants to come and indwell us and do home makeover in our heart and begin to change our desires and our way. He's already changed our Father. If we actually believe in Jesus, we have a new hope, a new home. We have a new family. And now He wants us to learn to obey that family. So when we look at this, they're interrupting Jesus. They're looking to do something that God wasn't there to do. And Jesus answered them in 7, Acts 1, 7. He said, it is not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. 
But, and this is our memory verse, but there's a contrast. What is for you to know, but that's not what for you to deal with is, is setting up of the kingdom. What's for you to deal with is you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is what Jesus wants you and me to understand in the church age after salvation that the Holy Spirit comes in. Let's read it. It's Ephesians 1.13. Let me read it with you, to you. We'll look at it at the same time. Ephesians 1.13 tells us what the Holy Spirit does. It says, in him you were also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You hear that Jesus is Lord and that God saved him or raised him from the dead and you believed it. The gospel of your salvation, your deliverance, in whom also having believed, there's that word, pistio, you entrust your spiritual well-being into this, into the gospel of your salvation. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is your soul, to the praise of his glory. Now, that, that is the down payment of the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you. It's like if you go to buy a house or a car and you, and you, you really like this car that's sitting on the corner and it's sitting out there for a price and the person's got it for sale, and you give them some earnest money so they won't sell it to anybody else, and then you go away and you come back with the rest of the money. Well, that's what Jesus has done with his blood, and he sealed us with the Spirit. We believe that in our heart, and then he gives us the Spirit as a down payment that says, I purchased Greg Tyra. I purchased him with my blood because he believed, and he put the earnest in me, the Spirit of God, and he's promised me that he's coming back to take me home one day. So now I belong to him. I'm not my own. And because of his blood and because of his spirit, I now go out and I witness to other people the love of God. So you shall receive power. That's the word dudamus. It's miraculous power. When the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, so that we can understand it. The Father, first person, Son, Holy, the Son is the second person, Holy Spirit is the third person, has come upon you. Now, I did not say three gods. Listen to me. Because somebody's going to be saying, oh, you said three gods. No, three gods in one, three gods in one. Or excuse me, three persons in one God. It, it's not three different gods. They're perfectly in tune and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. I can't make you understand it. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will receive it and understand it. Now, I know there's a lot of different things that people try to give as an analogy. I'm not going to give you one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one in everything that they're doing. In the plan of salvation, in the plan of redemption, in the plan of reconciliation of souls. In, in, in the plan of sanctifying you and using you as a witness and bringing the church and preparing the church as a bride for the Son. They're one in this. 
And there is no separation. And he calls us to be of one mind together with no separation in order to reach other people. And when they see that one mind, that love for one another, then they'll desire to come and be part of the church. So power, it's miraculous power. It's the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. That's where that word comes from, power. If somebody had a stick of dynamite and they ran up in this room, that would be power because you, you would do about anything they ask you to do so that they wouldn't blow you up with that dynamite. Now that sounds a little drastic, but this power is dynamic. And when the power is upon somebody and in their life, you can see it, you can hear it, you know there's a difference. They no longer are living for themselves. you shall receive this is what is for the church today power from god dudamus power in order to walk out live out this life for christ listen this power does not give you power not to sin you've been set free by the blood of jesus from the penalty and the power of sin it's been paid for forever no longer to count against you this power will give you power to love and to serve and to lay down your life. When will you get it? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, what will you do with that power? And you shall be witnesses to me. Notice the witness, the testimony that you give is to a person. It's to Jesus Christ who is speaking. Witnesses giving testimony. It's the Greek word martis. The Greek word martyrs, it's where we get our English word martyr from. Uh, martyr is one who dies for their faith. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you begin to walk this out, when you begin to live for him, the Holy Spirit comes upon you because you're no longer witnessing about yourself. You're no longer talking about yourself. You understood that you're a dead man walking. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And now you have been called to be a witness and give testimony to the God who came and died for you. And so he, he gives you this power to witness in your life, in your words, in your actions. Witness this word to other people. Where do you do it at, Greg? In Jerusalem. This is where they were at. In Jerusalem. Jerusalem means teaching peace. In all Judea. That's the region that Jerusalem was in. Judea. Which means to be praised in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now listen, watch the direction. Jerusalem was all Jews. And as you go out to Samaria, you go to half Jew, half Assyrian, half Gentile. And then you go to the end of the earth, you go to all Gentiles. And if you watch the book of Acts and you follow it, that's exactly what they did. Because listen, God is working his plan. His plan is reconciliation of souls. And you can be a part of it. You can be privileged to receive power to go out and be a witness and be led by the Spirit of God. Listen, if we have not the Spirit of God, we are not God's. Listen, Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. These are the children of God. And we need to understand that the Spirit of God is the one who is leading us today. Just like the law led the children in Israel, the law led them was their pedagogus, 
to lead them to the need to je for Jesus, the Spirit now leads us as His children to do the work of witnessing, the work of the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Listen, faith without works is dead faith. James says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. But those works have to be done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit. By the leading of the Holy Spirit who leads you in the word of God. But there is a threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at that in a little more detail. Now, um, John 14, 16 will be the place we go first. John 14, 16. I want you to see. Because see, in John 16, I'm not going to go there, but you can go there later. We're told that the Spirit of God uh, is in the world convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, sin is going to be judged. Righteousness is going to be judged. There's going to be a judgment. There's a white throne for those who stay in their sin. And then in righteousness, there's a Bema seat judgment that we will go before to see if our works were completed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or did we just make it up? Because once we get saved, we now have an option to be led by the Spirit, to be sanctified by the Spirit. Ephesians 5 calls it the washing of the water through the Word. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and cleans us up and makes us look like the Son of God as a suffering servant who lays down their life. Now in John 14, it happens to be the last night of Jesus' life. He's in the upper room uh, instituting the Lord's Supper. He's getting ready to go out of the upper room and go through lower Jerusalem where the vines are, the grapes. You see that in John 15, 5. He's going to go through lower Jerusalem. He's going to teach about uh, 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 the true vine himself, his father being the vine dresser. And he's going to use the, the, all the grape vines as an analogy as he teaches them. Then they'll go out of lower Jerusalem across the brook Kedron into the Garden Gethsemane where Judas is going to meet them with a detachment of troops. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, Whom do you seek? And they're going to say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going to say, I am. And they're all going to fall down because of that power. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit without measure. Because everything that he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit as an example to you and me. And now the church is in danger of having this form of godliness, small g, but denying the power thereof and never allowing the Spirit of God to dictate our life, to wash us and cleanse us, to train us in righteousness, to teach us to live godly lives, to clean us up and send us out even when pain and suffering may be there. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led Jesus to the cross through the trial, through the Garden of Gethsemane, out of the Garden of Gethsemane, as they arrested him and spit on him and beat him and mocked him and nailed him to a tree, 
The Spirit of God was there leading him for what he was anointed to do. And then as he hung on the cross, he said, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabatani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said it twice because the Father turned his head and the Holy Spirit turned his head and he felt alone. He had never suffered separation from the God, the Father, or the power of the Holy Spirit. He had never separated. He had never suffered that. But he had to suffer that because you and I were born separated from the Godhead. We were born separated from God. And in order for him to be a high priest acquainted with our grief, he had to go through that. And then he lays down his spirit. And he says, Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. And he gave up his spirit. They didn't have to break his legs. He gave up his spirit for you and me. It was his love for us that held him to the cross. But now in the upper room, John 14, let's look at 14, 15. Look what he says here. If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen, a lot of times people say, I love God. Well, then are, are you asking the Holy Spirit to help you obey Jesus said, here's a condition. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you really love me, keep my commandments. Now listen, be careful. I'm not trying to preach any legalism. I'm not preaching work your way to heaven. But this is the target we should be aiming at. Lord, well, how do I do that? If you love me, keep my commandments. Look, it's conditional. What will you do, Jesus, if I begin to keep your commandments? Here's the first one you want to keep. Trust in him for salvation. Believe in him as the salvator. God's provision for the sin nature is Jesus Christ, the anointed, the Mashiach of God. And if you believe that and you keep that commandment, what will he do? 16, and I will pray the Father, you'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Listen, here's the gift of God. Jesus is standing before them. He's speaking to them, and he says... If you keep my commandments, I'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. How long is forever? Get a calculator out. You got a calculator? Check that out on the calculator. Forever. Forever. The spirit of truth. That's the other helper. Another helper. The other helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Listen, I had this, this this week. I was looking at this, and don't mind me. I'm going to throw this in for free. If you don't like it, you can throw it out. But it's the word of God that was disobeyed. How was the word of God disobeyed in the garden? A lie was added. And I, I look at the word world, and I see the L there that stands for a lie. It's either the word or the world. The world is there need to sway of the wicked one who is lying to us and deceiving us to keep us from following the word. And when that lie is added to it, that was the first great lie. 99.9% .9 truth, but he added the L in there, the little lie that you will be like God. But God had already told him in the word that in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then the devil comes in and seduces them and lies to them. 
tempts them with this little lie. And they believed it. Jesus comes and dies for us, perfectly obeys the Father, and then says, you're set free from the penalty and the power of sin, and now if you'll keep my commands, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to seal you, and then to sanctify you, and send you to a dead and dying world, so that we can reconcile those that are appointed for salvation. Jesus died for the whole world. Anyone who hears the truth can choose to believe in Jesus. Come to me, he said. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you come to him? Look, he says, the world cannot receive the Spirit. You look around and you go, how can they be doing all this craziness? How can they believe that there's more than two genders how can they believe the things they believe and teach evolution and teach the lies and teach same-sex marriage because they don't have the Spirit of God. All they have is their own intellect and the Spirit of the devil is teaching them lies. That's the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. So if we know we shouldn't be haughty, we shouldn't be proud, we shouldn't be arrogant. We should say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening my eyes. Now, how do I tell others about this great love and be this witness? We'll get back to that witness in Acts 1-8 soon. He said, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, think about that for a minute. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, the world out there doesn't see him doesn't know him, but he looks at him and says, but you know him. Why? For he dwells, he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Pure and unadulterated religion is to go to orphans and widows, go to those in need. Listen to me. This is the first two aspects of the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number one, I will be with you. Para, alongside is what that word is. It's para. I will be para you. The Holy Spirit will be alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us in our sin, comes alongside us in our hopelessness, in our lives, in the way we're living. And he comes alongside just like, why does he do that? He comes alongside to help. Just like he said, I'll give you another helper. What does a paralegal do? Comes alongside a lawyer to help. But the paralegal does not have a license, did not pass the bar association, cannot go into the courtroom and practice for you, for the lawyer. But the Holy Spirit can come alongside you to help you as much as you want from him, he'll give to you. He comes alongside but he cannot live your salvation for you. But when you change your mind, when you change your direction, when you receive Jesus as Lord, he can give you all the tools needed 
to walk it out. He can lead you in all truth as he comes alongside you and shows you Jesus. What Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, what he's going to do, how you've been set free, how you've been given an inheritance and great precious promises. He can give you eyes to see that, but you still have to make choices and whether you want to open it, enjoy it, tell others about it, be a witness of it. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. And what does he tell you? He'll tell you things like Jesus is Lord, that he died for your sins. You're a sinner. One day I'm going to judge, that God's going to judge sin and righteousness, and there's going to be a judgment. And the only way you can escape that is what? To receive the finished work of the cross, the blood of Jesus. What happens when, that, when he, you receive that, when you believe that? Well, listen, John tells us in John 1, he came to his own. He came to the nation of Israel, his own brothers, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave, to rely, he gave the right to, excuse me, to as many as believed him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Let me say, let me do that again. I think I might have messed that verse up. I don't want you to miss this. He came to his own. I could have butchered it a little bit. I haven't quoted it in a while. Let's look. It's John uh, 1, 10 and 11. If I can find it. Here it is. John 1, 11. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. That's the nation of Israel. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Listen. His name is his character, his nature, his authority, his will. Do you believe he is the Messiah of God, the Messiah, the one that God has provided? Because when you do believe, what happens? He comes alongside. He'll be with you. He's a paralegal to help you to believe. And then it says he will be in you. That's John 14, 17. He will be in you. That's the second place, the second ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside. When you believe, he comes in you and seals you like I read in Ephesians 1, 13. When you trust him, when you believe when you receive, he seals you until the day of redemption, the second coming. That's the earnest money. Now he's in your heart. Now you're sealed. Now you belong to a new family, but you have to choose whether you're going to allow him to use your life for his glory. I believe that sanctification is still a choice. I do believe that if the Spirit of God comes in, he wants to point to Jesus that when the Spirit of God is there, there should be evidence of a changed life. There should be evidence of growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life because that's what the Spirit gives us power to do. But it has to be a choice, a choice that you make. He will not leave you as an orphan. And then we have the third part Where's that at? That's back in Acts 1.8, where we were at. It's the third part. Now, sometimes some people 
they will believe in Jesus and they are sealed and baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, or they have the upon experience at the same time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is the Greek preposition epi. E-P-I. It means upon. It means position. It's the place. It's a direction. The Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness. To tell people of the testimony of Jesus Christ pouring out his blood for your sins doesn't give you power to overcome sin. The sin was overcome in the blood. Now you have to believe the truth. The Holy Spirit gives you power to be a witness and to live for God, to love for God, and to lay down your life for God. You have to make that choice and then ask. Remember our previous memory verse, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Now listen to me. There's a lot of things going on here. But when we have churches that are being built on budgets and buildings and business principles, uh, people are beginning positions in the church because of their wealth or because of their position in a community and not because of the Spirit of God, you're going to end up with a, a, a what I call culturanity, a church that has no spirit, a church that's not teaching the Word of God with spirit, a church that's being led by what the world is doing, and it needs to be politically correct. It needs to tell you about the systematic racism that they say is in the world when that's a lie from the pit of hell. The only systematic thing in this church is sin. The only systematic thing in this world is sin. All sinners can be racist. All sinners can be sinners. But the problem is sin. And when we go attacking race, we ignore the problem and we create a problem over here that we're trying to attack and we miss the work of the blood of Jesus. Listen to me, this is so very important because this is what man likes to do. It's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to leave out the truth and follow a lie. That's why we rename all of the sick, all the sin to sicknesses is so that we can follow over here instead of going back to sin, instead of going back to creation, instead of going back to the first lie that was told to Eve, we stop short and we go, oh, well, they're sick. That's not sin. So then we come up with some medicine to take care of sickness instead of the blood that takes care of sin. The problem is sin. It's our sin nature. The only way to overcome it is the blood of Jesus. I'm not saying that there's no physical ailments, that there's no time that you never need any type of medicine, but right now we should understand that there's a great plan to, to deceive the entire world with pharmacy, with medicine. So you have to change and tell them they're sick first. You have to make them believe your system first. Get them away from sin and get them over to sickness and then give them some medicine to deceive them and seduce them even further so that they don't go to God for help. They go to the doctor for help. They go to the 
one who put the sin in them in the first place for help. They go back to the devil. The devil pours gasoline on their fire and they're twice the sons of hell again than they were the first time. Just like we repeat when we don't listen to the word of God. Where did that verse come from? Go ahead and look at Revelation 18, 23. And then we'll get back to our lesson on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I call it, just for sake of uh, uh, clarity, it can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It can be the upon experience. But all of them take a surrendered person that says, Holy Spirit, lead my life. I want to give you glory. I want to give you the power of my life. I want you for the strength of my life. I want to acknowledge that every gift and everything comes from God and not from man, not from me. I didn't do anything. I want to repent of myself and my flesh. And I want to walk in the spirit and be led by the spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at 1823. It tells us, now this is after the church is gone, but it tells us the culmination of why the Babylonian system is going to collapse. The system that comes from, it gets its name from the Tower of Babel. The first place that we see Nimrod. Nimrod means rebellion. Nimrod was a great hunter before God. He was hunting souls. He was trying to steal souls away from God. God was coming to save souls, had a plan to look forward to redeem souls to the Messiah. And Nimrod coming was lying to them and trying to build their own little government, their own little Babylonian system where they could reach the heavens. They could be like God. That's what the devil wants to do. And we see that in the finality of it all. In Revelation 18, 23, it says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. No light in Babylon, the Babylonian system, who's the light of the world, Jesus, and the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride, the church, shall not be heard in you anymore because they've been raptured out. Why? For your merchants were the great men of the earth. We've been here before. We've talked about this before. The Bill Gates, the George Sources, the Elon Musk. Those that are lying to us right now, what did they do, Greg? For by your sorcery, their sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Sorcery, yes, it's the word pharmacy. It's the word pharmakia. We get the word sorcery, we get the word pharmacy from it. By their medicine, by their pharmacy, by their, here's your help, come and get some pills for your sickness not your sin. This is the great form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. We're all sick. We're not sinners. We all just have sicknesses and we need their pharmacy. No, we're all sinners. Systemically sinners by nature because of Adam and Eve. And the only hope is the second Adam, Jesus Christ. When you believe in him for salvation, he seals you with his spirit. He's telling you now to surrender. But you can also be sanctified and you ask him for power. His power. His Holy Spirit to come upon you so that you can go out and be a witness of Jesus' great love. And you can do it in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
what is that to us? Jerusalem was the place where the king was. Jerusalem was the place where the temple was. Jerusalem was where everybody went. It was the holy city. So Jerusalem to us can be our church, our city where we live. It can be our home because your first ministry is to your home where you live at. And then to all Judea, that was the region that Judea was in. So then you go to the whole city wherever you live. And then Samaria was the neighboring region. Just so happened that they were half Samarian, half Gentile. But it was the neighboring region. It's like us going from, from, from Attica or Williamsport to Lafayette and we're witnessing to other people. And then to the end of the earth, to everybody, to everybody. The miraculous thing is right now is that the devil is using the internet the devil is using all of this in, 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 in this this techno stuff so that he can be omnipresent. He thinks he can be everywhere. He thinks he can know all things about you. He thinks he can track you with his GPS phone. But guess what? We could also preach the gospel right now. It's being recorded, and it can go to the end of the earth. And we can be a witness of the lies that are going on and that we're not all systemically racist. We're all systemically sinners and we need the blood of Jesus. It's our only hope. And then we need to surrender and tell others so that they can one day be in heaven with us also. That power comes from the Holy Spirit when you begin to surrender and ask God to help you, to use you for his glory. Now listen, it's not a surprise. I know there's some people that say, oh, come on. There's no baptism. You get saved, you're sealed, and everybody has the same power, the same ability, the same inheritance. True, but listen to me. Would you agree with me that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible using 60 men or 66 men or 66 books by 40 authors? Would you would you agree that that the Holy Spirit inspired them to write down the very words that the Holy Spirit directed them? And would you agree that the Holy Spirit is God? So then why would God waste his words? I don't believe he does. I'm just going to set you up. Let's watch how the whole church... Remember Peter? Peter denied Christ three times at his arrest. He said, you'll, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. But when you've been restored, take care of the brethren. Teach the brethren. Love the brethren. So look at, let's look at what the early church did. Let's look at what the Holy Spirit said about the early church. Peter, after denying them, then seeing the resurrected Lord, then Acts 2 happens and he's baptized with power. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He goes out to be a witness. 3,000 people are saved in the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. They're living their life normally, going to the temple and sharing with people, and they heal a lame man begging alms at the gate. Remember that story in chapter, or that testimony in chapter 3 of Acts? Peter said, look at me. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man leaps up. What was he doing? He was being a witness of Jesus. He was being witness of life. They get arrested. They're thrown in jail. They come back out the next day. And if you will, fast forward. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 8. 
4.8, Peter begins to answer. Let's see. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He used Luke to pen this. And look what Luke tells us in his analytical mind as he does an autopsy, an autopatea of the Word of God. He says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. See that word filled? He tells us how Peter had boldness. Look at this. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers and the people of elders of Israel... If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means we have made him well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, this is an indictment, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected. He has become the chief cornerstone nor is there deliverance, salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven and earth given among men by which men must be saved. And look what it says in 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That was the difference. But notice what it says in verse 8. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He denied him when he just had the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In the garden, he was already saved. He already believed Jesus was Lord. Remember? They asked him the question. Jesus says, whom the man say that I am? And he says, you're the Messiah, the Christ of God. And he said, heaven and earth did not, re- or excuse me, uh, earth did not reveal that to you, but the Father who's in heaven revealed that to you. And in John 20, what happened? Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. They were sealed in John 20, 22. But now that he's been baptized, Acts chapter 2, the church has been birthed, we're told by the Holy Spirit that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if every Christian just receives the Holy Spirit normally, why didn't it just say, Then Peter said, why are we given these words here? Then Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, said. We're told by God why, how the boldness came, why he can now stand before the rulers and not worry about being crucified or killed or anything. It's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. He has received power to be a witness, and you and I can have that same power if we ask. If you don't have that dynamic in your life, if people don't know that you're being a witness for Jesus, then ask God to baptize you afresh and anew with His Spirit. And listen, they were warned not to preach If I was to give you the rest of it, I'll paraphrase. They said, what do we do? They went aside and they go, a notable miracle has been done. Everybody has seen it. Let's threaten them not to teach anymore in this name. We have no way of doing anything. So they threatened them and they let them go, verse 23. And they went to their own companions and they reported, they gave witness of all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And then they all raised their voice to God with one accord. They were of one mind. And they said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, why did the nations rage? This is Psalms 2. And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Listen, that's been going on since the garden. It's going on today. They're taking their stand against Christ. That's anti-Christ. That's what it means, anti. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, this is verse 27, chapter 4, Acts, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined to be done. Notice God had already planned that. God had already allowed that. God anointed him for this. 29, what do they pray? They're praying to God here. Now look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. What should we be speaking? What would we be doing? We'd be witnessing with power by stretching out your hands to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now watch this, 431. And when they had prayed, the place where they had assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Notice again, they were filled again. Because when you use the power, when you go out and you have the power, and you witness, you need to be refilled. God actually says this in the scriptures in um, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're supposed to always be being filled, always be aware that the power is from the Holy Spirit. The strength is from the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation of souls. So they prayed and then they spoke with more boldness, more power. And they went and continued to speak with power. Now let's just fast forward. What did they do? The church is growing. The Lord's adding the numbers. It's, it's Acts chapter 6. The Lord's adding and adding. I just want to walk through and show you that this is normal church. If we follow the word of God, the spirit of God will lead us and fill us and use us for his glory. Chapter 6, there's a lot of problems going on in the church. The, the uh, uh, widows, uh, the, the Hellenist, that's the uh, um, Greek-speaking Jews. They're being neglected in the daily distribution at the food bank. Think about this for a minute. The food bank, washing tables, feeding people, something that people are called to do, be servants and waiters. They're neglected. This come to the ears of the 12. Look at verse 2, 6, 2. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples, everybody there, and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. See, they're teaching and preaching the word of God, helping people understand what Jesus did. Therefore, 
brethren, seek out from among you seven men, listen to the qualifications of these people to work in the food bank, good reputation, that means everybody knows them, and then they, they have a good reputation. What does it say there? And full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Why didn't they just say get seven Christians? If everybody has the same power, the same spirit, everybody's doing the same thing, why did it, the Bible tell us in chapter 4, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, why does it tell us now in order to be a deacon, this is the first deacons, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit, not just a Christian, not just somebody that says they believe. The demons believe and tremble, but you have to be full of the Holy Spirit to wipe tables and hand out food to the rest of the church. Listen. There's a form of godliness in the church today, but it denies the power thereof. The power of the Holy Spirit that takes the word of God and the truth of God and it empowers you to use it for the glory of God. You have to ask God to baptize you with his spirit. And baptism is an identification with the work of the ministry. Baptism is the word baptismo, which means to be whelmed. Huh? It means to be submerged. It means to be covered in. So the Holy Spirit comes up on and covers you with his power when you surrender. But you know what? You can also sin. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can insult the Holy Spirit. And you can actually interfere with the power of the Holy Spirit so you have to confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then ask God to baptize you afresh and anew, to allow the freedom and the flow of the Holy Spirit to be upon your life so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry. I'm not going to point out, see, Stephen is one of them. He becomes the first martyr of the church, but he was full of the Holy Spirit because nobody could overcome his wisdom. Look at it, it's seven, chapter 7. Stephen gives this great dissertation of the nation of Israel. And then look at verse 55 as they get ready to kill him. They're, they're gnashing at him. They're talking crazy to him. They're getting ready to kill Stephen. But what does he do in 7.55? Notice, he gazed into heaven. Wait a minute, did I leave some words out? Yes, I did. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, how can he stand before them and give such a great witness? How can he gaze into heaven knowing they're getting ready to kill him? He gazed into heaven. He's full of the Holy Spirit and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. Look at verse 59. They stoned him as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he said in 60, do not charge them with this sin. And he fell asleep. How did he do that? He was full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just somebody who said, I believe in Jesus. He wasn't just somebody who was just sealed. He was allowing the Spirit of God to control his life. So it did not frighten him to be threatened by them. 
And listen to me, people. We need this power more and more today than ever before because they're coming after the church. It's death culture. They want to kill the church. They want to kill truth. They want you to be under their authority and their power, following their and fearing them, not reverencing God and trusting the blood of Jesus. They want to destroy the church. They want everybody to think they're sick and follow their sorcery, their pharmakeia, instead of know that we're sinners and be covered in the blood. There's salvation in no other name. There's no other way to escape the fiery hell of judgment that's coming but the name of Jesus. Well, let's keep going. See, there they went. Now they're going to go over to verse or chapter 8, verse 9. Because of this persecution of Stephen, they begin to kill everybody and lock them into jail. And so the church scattered like they were supposed to in the first place. What were they supposed to do? Jesus said in Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 21. He said, all authority is after he rose from the grave. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, they were supposed to be going, but they weren't going. Persecution caused them to go. They end up down in Samaria, half Jew, half Assyrian, half, half Jew, half Gentile, we could say. And they preach the gospel. Revival breaks out. When they hear about it in Jerusalem, they send um, Peter and John down to Samaria. It's verse 14. Look at verse 14. 814. When the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. When you receive the word of God, you come to salvation. You are sealed. They sent Peter and John to them, who, when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had yet, for he had fallen upon none of them. Are you here with me? They believed and were sealed, but he hadn't come upon any of them with power. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. They were baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. They were water baptized uh, in the water. So they're saved. You don't baptize people unless they believe in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon any of them. What did Peter and John do? 17, 8, 17. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you need the hands of an apostle or somebody else to lay hands on you and pray for you. And the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. And you ask for the Holy Spirit's baptism, the upon experience, to fill you to be a servant, to walk in love, to lay down your life, to stop living for self. Then you fast forward all the way to the book of Acts. Let's go on down. Let's go to the Gentiles. It's chapter 10. It's verse 44. Peter is down 
at Simon the Tanner's house in chapter 9. And God gives him a vision up on the roof of a sheep coming down and all the four-footed animals are in it. And he says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And he's opening Peter's eyes because the Jews believed that the Gentiles and the Bible taught that they were unclean. But God is bringing them all into the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God has to deal with Peter first. And chapter 10 of Acts tells us that there was a certain man in Caesarea, a man named Cornelius. He was the uh, 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 of the centurion of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man who feared God and he was in prayer and an angel appeared to him and told him to send to Joppa for Peter and then to obey all that Peter told him. Peter, after the Lord convinces him, goes with some other Jews with him as witnesses and when we come to uh, verse 44, 1044 of Acts, Peter is now at Cornelius' house after making the journey of obeying God, being led by the Spirit to Cornelius' house, and he's preaching to them. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon. This is the epi, upon all those who heard the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you see that these people, the Gentiles, they were sealed and baptized at the exact same time. It all happened at the same time. Sometimes that happens. And those of the circumcision, that's what the church was called, or excuse me, the Jews were called. They were circumcised. They were under the covenant of circumcision who believed, who got saved. We call them Messianic Jews were astonished. They're sitting there. They're witnesses with Peter. They're watching it. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Listen, a couple points I'll make out of that. They were sealed. They did get saved. They were baptized full of the Holy Spirit all at once, and they spoke in tongues. Listen, tongues has been taught errantly as the sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It only happens a couple times in all the times that I will share with you. It is a uh, gift of the Spirit, but it is the easiest gift to fake. Love is the true proof of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because God is love. When we begin to serve and lay down our life and love others, that is the true proof of being baptized in the Spirit, not tongues. Tongues is a gift. It is one of the gifts. It is a gift that the church has misused. And some of the church even throws it out. And then some of the church throws all the gifts of the Holy Spirit out. Says they were only for the apostles. My Bible doesn't read that way. I choose to believe that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he's still sending men. He's still anointing men. He's still giving gifts. 
He's still baptizing with power. He's still saving. He still wants us to believe the word of God. Notice what happens there afterwards in verse 46. Then Peter answered, 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Listen, they believed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Peter, who was baptized with the Spirit, was preaching the word. And as they heard it, they came to faith in Jesus and were baptized and sealed at the same time. And then they got baptized in water, which is only a water is an identification. It's a watery grave where you come up in the newness of life. Listen, you do not baptize people in water who have not believed upon Jesus. We're going to do some baptism Sunday. People have a misconception of bad baptisms. It does not save you. It is a watery grave where you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You come up out of the water washed clean symbolically, and it's a watery grave. And you come up in the newness of life, and you're witnessing by that act of first obedience. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first thing we do is we put them in water to identify that they want to live for Jesus. And it represents an outward appearance of what God is doing in the inward man. See, God needs to change the heart. Change the heart. Just putting our religious clothes on, our religious actions on, just saying, I believe, does not mean that somebody's saved unless their works follow it, unless the Spirit leads them in it. Jesus called the Pharisees who said they believed in God whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones because on the inside they were ravenous wolves, but on the outside they pretended to be religious. Listen, we need the Spirit of God to have control of our hearts, to do home makeover, to completely change us. And we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power that comes from the upon experience when we ask the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, direct, teach us in life, send us to do the work of the ministry, fill our mouths. Now let's look at chapter 19. Paul back in it, 19.1 of Acts. Paul is uh, on a missionary journey. I think he's on his third missionary journey. I could be misspeaking that. I'm not going to look for it. I'm just telling you that. And in 19.1, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, that's modern-day Turkey, which you'll go to jail for being a Christian today because people quit preaching the word of God. And finding some disciples. Listen, who did he find? People who were following. Disciples are learners. They were disciples of Christ. They were learning how to be Christians. He found them. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's assuming they believed. He's assuming that they were sealed. And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Listen, do you know there's a Holy Spirit to seal you, to baptize you? 
He's the executor of God's estate. He's the one who's handing out the inheritance. The Holy Spirit seals you and gives you gifts. He gives you power. He gives you the ability to, to walk out this life if you surrender and trust him. You surrender and follow. You surrender and believe. And he said to them, Paul said to these people who were, there's 12 of them. What? Into what then were you baptized? Water. They were baptized in water. It was an identification. So they said, into John's baptism. Paul tells us clearly what John's baptism was. He said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. I want to turn. I want to change. I want to come back to God. Saying to the people that they should believe, trust on him, Jesus, who would come after John. That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, see we they laying on the hands again, the Holy Spirit came upon them, epi, the upon experience, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. See that? Prophesying means foretelling of the word of God clearly. Their eyes were open and they knew how to tell the word of God. Now the men were about 12 in all. And then Paul, who's been baptized, it says with him, he went and spoke boldly. We see that in Paul's life all the way through. But we know that it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's church. This is God's redemption. This is God's salvation. We have to do it God's way. And when we believe, God gives us power. He seals us until the day of redemption. But then he will come upon us with power when we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Old Testament was just like that. Do you remember the Old Testament? The children of Abraham, the children of Israel. David said, Lord, please do not take your spirit from me. Why did he say that for? See, the Holy Spirit would come up on certain people for mission that they were supposed to go on. Why did he say that? Why did David, who had sinned many times, say, do not take your spirit from me? Because he's seen God take the spirit from Saul. That's how we're introduced to David, is the first king, Saul, lived for himself. He built statues to himself. He wanted all the money for himself. And he stayed in his pride. And the Lord took the spirit from him. And he gave him an evil spirit that would attack him. And the only way that evil spirit can be dealt with was what? When David played music on a harp, then Saul would be okay. And then David playing music, Saul began to chuck spears at him. Listen to me. The Old Testament saints, the spirit would come upon them for, for do the work of the ministry. New Testament, that's the same way it happens in the New Testament. If you want to live for God, you've got to trust the Holy Spirit to come upon you. To teach you, to train you, to lead you, to convict you, to give you wisdom in the scriptures, to understand so you can have boldness and prophesy or foretell the word of God. But you shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Have you asked God, are you ready to die to self? Are you ready to be baptized in the Spirit? You must give up your life, lay down your life. It's time for the church to stand up and speak out boldly against the lies of this planet, against the lie of the, the lies that are going on in this world. And all you have to do is speak the truth of the gospel. Just proclaim the truth, but ask the Holy Spirit to use you for that. Next week's memory verse. Listen, next week's memory verse. John 10, great chapter. I can't do it all, but John 10, 27 is next week's memory verse. John 10, 27. Ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you today. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear the voice of God, to understand the word of God, to have a boldness to speak truth to others and to walk out your gifting. And John 10, 27 says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen, there's a relationship there. John 10, 27. Look what he says afterwards. 28, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Listen, have you heard his voice? Do you believe? Does he know you? That's the most important question on the planet. Lots of people are saying, I believe, I know Jesus. Does he know you? Because you're following him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your mercy and your grace upon your people. Lord, thank you. That none of us deserve salvation. Wake us up. Bring us out of apostasy. Give us a desire to allow your Holy Spirit to be the power and the strength of our life because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that resurrection also means a recovery of spiritual truth. Help us to recover it, Lord, and to proclaim it from the rooftops. Help us to hear your voice to follow. Thank you for knowing us. You know all those that belong to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.